If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Everyone, welcome to this pre-Turkey Day CU podcast. Gobble, gobble. It's November 20th, Tuesday, 2018. That's Ian Ferguson. Hello. I'm Pat Contry. We have a plethora of topics we'll be discussing during this podcast. Might have, some, might have some new viewers and listeners this one for some reason, but it's also an audio podcast, mainly. So this is some of the stuff we're going to go through, such as the Pikachu Detective Teaser trailer. Sony skipping out in E3 2019, N64 Classic is likely to not happen, not likely, Premium Books shutting down, a mini Vectrex discovered, uh, Patreon Q&A, your Q&A, um, Ian, uh, I actually got a new mattress nice. over, over the past weekend. How's that been? It's, it's been great. Uh, of course, I, I upgraded mine from last year. They couldn't, they didn't continue it anymore, of course, because why would they continue a mattress one year to the next? So I had to spend like a few hundred dollars more than I wanted to. So I'm, I'm enjoying my nice mattress sleep, getting into it. This is really comfortable. And of course, a, a yapping dog wakes me up in the, in the morning in the bedroom. So that's why I'm a little name. bit. I'm not. I'm not tired but i'm just my hair has been bad if you notice i had like dampened it before it was really <laughs> frizzy and fluffy it was, it was more than usual you can test i never put water in my hair this morning to, it was it's like a bird's nest right now you had to use the hair lube this morning hair lube is that is that a thing um so you know how when wrestlers come out and their hair is all moist and slick yeah i assume that there's like a big bucket of hair lube that I, they just, I think that's just water well, there's a large bucket of it before there they has come to be. out. There, there has, has to be. Yeah, yeah they I have think, to just dunk I don't, it. Yeah, I, don't, I don't think Seth Rollins is putting lube on his head. It's We're just a, Look, it's just hair lube sounds better. <laughs> it doesn't. It does sound better. Wrestling hair lube. <laughs> it sounds <laughs> funnier. Sounds it's going to be in WBShop.com. Uh, yeah, hair, hair lube. lube. Um, uh, Stanley passed away. I spoke about it on the Notscom podcast. If you have any quick thoughts about that. I, I mean, I, I don't really, I don't know what else to say that hasn't been said or that could be said better. Um, it's a real bummer. Uh, the X-Men were particularly and still are particularly important to me. Uh, it's an important comic. And I mean, what he's done in general um, was very important. Uh, you know, he created an escape and an outlet for many people who needed it. Um, he was a champion for rights and equality uh, at a time and in a medium where you weren't seeing a lot of that. And that was not yeah, not a lot of ex experimentalism going on, especially in that era. Not a lot of anything that could be seen as progressive for a couple of decades. And, and using those uh, messages in a, a medium that is not for children necessarily, but in a medium where where kids would easily see it comics sure. are often i mean especially then uh, comics are bought by kids adults read comics too we all read comics but comic books are bought by kids so it was great to have you know him as a voice and writing in those you know back pages and those letter pages and stuff you know saying thing the things that he did um and um you know 
he had a long life and his last few years may not have been the happiest, but um 95 is a good run. It, it's a great run. Especially for someone that was born in in what the tw- early 20s? Yeah. So I you know, I feel bad, you know, for the the personal Late life 20s. stuff that happened, but that all said, um you know, 95 guy was still, you know, making appearances in movies and things. I, I And supposedly I, he's filmed like other cameos, not just for the movies coming out, but they had him film random ass cameos. So, so he's, you, he's, you might see him for the next 10 years in Marvel movies. It's weird to think about, but that's, that's cool that they did that. We've got Stan in a can for a while. Stan in a can. Mm, that's good. So there'll, there'll be like a random, hey, I'm at a bar. Who's that over there? <laughs> like, hey, I'm walking down the street. Hey, here's another mailman. You know, they, they thought that out. So, so we've been uh, we've been focused upon the past week and a half, have we? <laughs> due to due to our I, I due to our uh, let's just say passionate views on our acerbic nature uh, on Diablo Mobile, and it, it and it d- didn't help probably that you know that there was some some over the top rhetoric you could say we we sure. put into our normal views, but if if you've Listen to the CU podcast before. Most of the people haven't that got went after us. Yes. That's not uncommon for us to have done in the past. It's actually fairly common. It happens at almost every podcast. And and yeah. quite frankly, it was probably more tempered for some topics, at least on Ian's side, than others in the past in terms of things that probably have come out of your mouth. Yeah, I, I don't really know what else to say about it other than... Um... It's a podcast. I, I use hyperbole and exaggeration. It's expected from our core listener audience to have um, some lively discussion and or debate. Ian's, Ian said some lively things to me directly before. I, 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 and, and we take it in stride and, and back and forth. We curse each other out. Well, what, do you, what do you mean? Are you, you were serious sometimes when you yell at me on the podcast? <laughs> no. Don't make us break up right here while we're going through this. Okay. Um, but a lot of it's done in jest. And and if it came across to a certain audience uh, a different way, um, that's not surprising. Being that in the past we've been, we'll just say we've got we've drawn the ire before for a few other things. Uh, our longtime listeners know that this is just one of those situations where we were uh, picked on due to a hot topic, very hot topic at the time, and we were probably the only country you can say semi-contrarian voice uh, versus the rest. So it became an easy magnet for the people to voice their displeasure. Not just, okay, there's Blizzard, let's go after that monolith, let's go after two guys who have a podcast. You know, right. they're, they're easier to get to versus a CEO of a company, which is fine, except we were slandered in, in some of these uh, videos that went after us saying that we uh, were attacking all gamers. I don't know if you want to comment on that. Have we ever said that all gamers were a single entity? No, no, I, and we didn't in that video. But no, I've never said that all gamers are a single entity. Um, and I think the people who made that argument did so in bad faith. Yeah. To, to continue to stir drama. Yeah. They, it's, it's fun. It was clickbait for them, obviously. Yes. You know, they said, well, everyone's going after these two. I'm going to make a video as well. And I watched uh, a couple of them. I didn't watch all of them. There was probably, honestly, there probably were at least 10 to 20 made. I just knew a five or six offhand. Mm. So it was this weird, perfect storm. So we got caught up in, in this, like, uh, drama ecosystem of YouTube, which is, is try to put other people out before, you know, uh, whatever. 
Um, we took a stance that was disagreeable to people. There was also probably people in bad faith just going after us just because it was fun. You know, uh, there were unsubscribers to the podcast at this point, probably between twenty five hundred to three thousand have unsubscribed. Uh, it, that's to me the strangest part about it, just because if those people were with us on the podcast for the past five years, they would know that what we said was not out of the ordinary in terms of, uh, let's just say hyperbole. It's mm-hmm. happened before with Ian talking about uh, Ninja Turtle movies or Zack Snyder or things of that nature. So. Sure. But... Anything else there? No. No. We we got we made people money. We made people money with their clickbait videos. Oh, we sure did. I understand some people doing it. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> but what are you going to do at the end of the day? I mean, I, I really have no idea what else to say about it. Um, there were some people who, uh, you know, who who I talked to who were uh, very reasonable, and I had very reasonable discussions back with them. Yeah, people, even they even they disagree with our stance. Yeah, people yeah. who realize that it's uh, exaggeration, and then I, we had a very you know we had fruitful conversations. It's easy to have a fruitful conversation with someone when you don't come at them, you know, saying that you know you want them to die and things like that. Oh, a, 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 a hype, a hyperbole, uh, hyperbolic statement in general is different than coming after a single person and attacking them. Yeah. I think, th- I think that's what probably happens that people saw, you know, a little like, projection. Yeah. They saw themselves personally being attacked instead of describing this huge blobby entity. Yeah. It was like, Oh, you're attacking me, Joe, Joe Bob or whatever. Uh, just think of a random name that's not Kevin, because Kevin's the default name. Kevin in Kevin in, in, in North Dakota felt he was getting attacked. You know, <laughs> hopefully there was no Kevin in North Dakota. I, I'm sorry, actually... Ke- I'm sorry. I'll apologize to Kevin in North Dakota if there's a Kevin in North Dakota. There, there probably is. North Dakota only has about ten thousand people, though, so I don't know. Right. Um, okay. Uh, so I want to thank Red Bull for sending this over to me. This is cool. Oh, oh that is. This is a custom made. Pac-Man sort of tabletop arcade uh, game. Well, that's neat. With a little plexiglass. You want to hold the plexiglass in? Yeah, yeah I do. Uh, I don't think it slides out that much. But anyway, you can't see it. Hold it up there. But it's 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 a promo. They have a li- limited... Where's my where's my mushroom? It's working again. Limited uh, Red Bull uh, Pac-Man. So they were cool enough to send this out. Uh, I wasn't paid for this, but th- this is cool. Um, an, an original. They sourced original Game Boy's original Pac-Man Game Boy cards, and there's like a, a little pin set here. So thanks to Red Bull. If you're a Red Bull fan, do you drink Red Bull? I do. I'll give you some. They sent me a case of them. All right. Get your Pac-Man Red Bull going right there. Where's my limited mushroom, Ian? Is that an, I don't know. Is that Fuck. an actual Game Boy? Yes. Oh. What, you thought that was a fake Game Boy? Red, Red Bull's not screwing around. They sent that guy into space to jump off that thing from the stratosphere. <laughs> it's a nice Game oh. Boy. So what did I say? It was limited? Well, it was limited. All right, on with the show, Ian. Ian. Pat. So we had a trailer come out that didn't break the internet. No, but it, it broke me. It broke you? In a good way. It, it was the, shattered me. The Pikachu Detective. Detective Pikachu trailer. So uh, the te- it's, it's barely even a teaser. That thing, was, that thing rolled deep. Um, 
So, yes, uh, Detective Pikachu was a movie that was uh, rumored in the works for quite some time. It was a game announcement in a rumored movie. Uh, might have been more than a rumor. I mean, it was talked about, but I don't think anyone really expected it to happen. And then, out of nowhere, they dropped the trailer for it. It's a live-action movie. And uh, it's a live-action, real humans location. <laughs> real humans. Real humans. Not those fake ones. But uh, fake Pokemon. Um, CGI Pokemon. And um, it's... It's... The first thing, before we go any further, is is the look um it's in my opinion the look of the cg pokemon in the real world um well first of all it's, it's like a futuristic looking city right it looks like a like a, some sort of like post like not, not i mean it's not super futuristic it's just modern looking sure it's, super modern city though like a japanese sort of state-of-the-art city sure. looks like yes um and I mean, it looks like asia but i don't know it's and and the Pokemon themselves are somewhere caught between uh, adorable and terrifying looking. Um, I don't know. It's like this weird, perfect in between of just cute enough to not be terrifying. Um, Ryan Reynolds is doing the voice of uh, Detective Pikachu, um, so a lot of people are already saying, "Hey, all they can hear is Deadpool." Yeah, um, that's probably unfortunate. People were pushing for Danny DeVito. And I and that probably would have been the 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 cult choice, but obviously for popularity, the kids, most of the kids, will say like, "Who the hell's Danny DeVito?" Even though he's been great on on uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia the past fucking fourteen years, he's been on that show. Now, holy shit, I love forever. I love Danny DeVito, but everyone does um, national treasure. And I'll watch my words carefully here. But everyone who was upset about Danny DeVito not getting chosen, he was never in the running. It was just something that people wanted. And yes, he would have made a good voice for it. But I think Ryan Reynolds will do just fine. Yeah, I think people wanted more of a gruff, hard edge sounding detective versus. You know, like sarcastic. I, I, I think Ryan Reynolds. I think sarcasm was going to be there regardless. I, 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 my only guess is, a Ryan Reynolds is popular, of course, but b maybe they didn't want Pikachu to sound so old. Maybe they wanted him to sound somewhat youngish. I have no idea. Um, but in in terms of that, it looks like it's a uh, a suitably weird. Uh, it looks bizarre. The movie. It looks insane. It's, it has. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's a poke uh, noir. Like what the fuck is it? It's almost like how they just had that um, the adult uh, Muppet movie come out that was gritty and dark and had to do with the murder. Oh yeah. It's like it's kind of the different tone that we were expecting. Yeah. Muppet <laughs> sex and I'm not saying it's going to be Pokemon sex, but the fact that. You know, you have. I think now is the time to talk about tasteful sex scenes in Pokemon movies. This is well, this is where we're gonna break new ground. Well, you had like weird lounge singer looking. Uh, what was it? Was a Squirtle the one that people were complaining about? Which was the one? No, oh, uh, the one with the, the hair. People were saying that they shouldn't have hair. I don't know anything about Pokemon, by the way. I I know nothing. Uh, Jigglypuff, Jigglypuff, oh, Jigglypuff. Has hair. J- it was Jigglypuff. Oh, they, they don't want it to be fuzzy. That's what it was. People were like, well, why is it's it fuzzy? It's well, a puff. I mean, it's it, but it, it is labeled a balloon Pokemon. But what's going on here? You have uh, the actor Justice Smith, who's now in everything, by the way. Right. Uh, I I keep thinking he's been around for like eight years, just because he was in uh, what is it the the, the one about hip hop in the in the seventies in New York. He was on that Netflix show. He starred in that. Oh he's just, right. He was in Jurassic uh, Jurassic World two. Um, he's been in everything recently, and he stars in this. And he can he's the only one that can understand Pikachu. Pikachu. Yep. 
uh, to everyone else, it's a Pika Pika. Right. And they're like, what's going on? So there's something to that. I'm not sure that, that that's built into the story. But um, I don't know. What do, you, what do you think? Where do you think this could... Do you think this is going to just... People are going to see this out of morbid curiosity, even if they're not I, I, Pokemon. There, there are there are people who uh, who are very. There's a camp that's very excited to see this. That would be my camp. Um, and then I think I think there are people who are going to go see it just to see it, just, just to see like what to, the hell's just going to be on. like. What the hell is this? Um, this is a very weird gamble, and I think it will pay off for them. Well, I don't think it's going to do. I don't think it's going to. What are your choices? You do a, You do like a. Uh, a computer animated movie like Wreck-It Ralph or Pixar, where it's just a Pokemon movie. Yeah, and you're, you you're don't, gonna... and you take no chances, and you probably make you make money. You make money, and if this goes poorly, you probably will end up making the same amount of money, or you surprise yourself. Either way, this is the more interesting thing to do with the property. Sure, because I wouldn't see a regular Pokemon right. movie. I will see this exactly. This gets someone like me like interested. Like this is like a weird. If like if I if I didn't know that Pokemon were a thing and I saw this, I would be interested just because these characters are weird and wacky, and it's so off kilter. Yeah, it's like again, it's like the Muppet movie with like sex and violence. It's it, it it's just disturbing. It's it's a it's diametrically opposed, but it's interesting. Yeah, even if you don't know what Pokemon is, because this is not, you know, this is not. Pokemon movie eight, Detective Pikachu. It's just Detective Pikachu. You can look at this and go, "Well, this is odd. This is interesting." So okay, yeah. Oh, it was a get down. That was a series. I don't know That's if you saw it, that yeah. Netflix. Yep. Surprised I didn't get a get a sequel series. It was very good, or a, a follow up uh, season. The kid's only twenty three. He's been in everything already. Good for him. Good for him. I thought I saw. I thought he was in like Walking Dead years back and got killed. That was either him or someone that looked like him. Like four years ago, when the show was still watchable, uh, that's a whole other conversation. Where Walking Dead's gone, holy crap! Has that fallen off a cliff? Oh, now, heard now it's, it's like now it's just homework yeah. to watch. You have uh, they they fast forwarded in time twice. Spoilers. Now that we're talking about Walking Dead, they fast forwarded like a year at the beginning of the season. Then after Rick Grimes just left, um, they fast forward like five six years. So the daughter is now basically Annie Oakley. She's like six years old, and she's like shooting guns. And she acts like an adult. The writing's horrible. Like it's like the worst thing they they could have possibly done. Oh, all right, good. It, it's like it's like the Wesley Crusher on steroids in terms of this kid is should not be this clued <laughs> into everything. Talking to Negan to get homework help. It's awful. Anyway, so we went off on the, on a tangent here. So uh, when does this come out, Ian? At uh, twenty nineteen, sometime. I don't know. When. Detective Pikachu release date. Uh, we got May tenth. Oh, right after, right after someone's uh, birthday. There, we take it oh, my birthday right. to see it. All okay, right. all right, okay, <laughs> all right. Um, this is not a surprising story here at all. This is uh, Sony announcing that they will not be coming to E three two thousand nineteen. They will not have a booth. They will not have a presence. First time they're skipping it in the show's 24-year history. Um, they also canceled their PlayStation experience this year, too. They didn't do that. I believe they usually do that in October. Where do they usually hold that? That's usually their own thing, and I can't remember. I think they do that in L.A. But yeah, That makes sense. Yeah, so that uh, seems to be a, a, a theme for Sony, but in but overall it's, it's not at all surprising in its own context no. within E3. No. 
the news was buried inside, according to Variety, they broke this news, I believe. The news was buried inside the, uh, the ESA's Entertainment Software Association's announcement of the 2019 show that quoted competitors Nintendo and Microsoft. So it'd be like, oh, we're glad to come back. We're Nintendo or Microsoft. We're, and then Sony's like, oh, we're not, you know. Oh, by the way, they're not coming. We're not glad to. They're one of the biggest people here and they're not coming back. <laughs> So they, had, they put out a statement. As the industry evolves, Sony Interactive Entertainment continues to look for inventive opportunities to engage the community. PlayStation fans mean the world to us, and we always want to innovate, think differently, and experiment with new ways to delight gamers. As a result, we have decided not to participate in E3 in 2019. We are exploring new and familiar ways to engage our community in 2019 and can't wait to share our plans with you. What are they really saying, Ian? They're saying that E3 is pointless. Maybe. Partially, at least. What they're probably also saying is, we spend a lot of money, money. on this shit. Yeah, it, it's not worth and it. And we had two huge first-party titles this year. We can ride this for a while, maybe. Yep. As well, right? Well, yeah, that's the other uh, thing. And that's one, one of the main reasons I think they, they canceled the uh, PlayStation experience uh, more directly, was because they didn't really have anything to show. They didn't, what, are their, what are their big releases next year coming up? Let's see. PS4 exclusives, um, 2019. Off the top of your head, anything? Uh, Last of Us Two, that's an exclusive. That's yeah, that's exclusive. Okay, um, I think that's next year. And I mean, they have some of those games that they were showing off at um, Last E Three, but I don't know. I, I I just feel like if they don't have anything more to announce besides that, Final Fantasy Seven remake. No, that's not coming out next year. It's not. Uh, I highly doubt that. Um. I just don't think that the amount of money they put into it is worth it for them to go back and probably just show off the same games that they showed last year because anything else for the PS4 right now is probably not financially viable. We're probably not going to get any more huge hits for that, I don't think. Ghost of Tsushima? Yeah, that was announced last year. Okay. Um, last of Us, that was one of the big ones. Death Stranding. Yeah. That's a big one. Right. But they've been talking about it, so I think... But everyone knows about it, right? right. It's been announced forever. So I think take they, I think their plan is take a year off. They'll probably announce the PS5 on their own at some event later in the year. Maybe their own event. Okay. And then perhaps they'll go back to E3 the year after when they have PS5 stuff to announce to really ramp up for a PS5 launch. But I just don't think there's any financial reason for them to so go this year. We'll just say we're probably two years out from the PS5, yeah. most likely. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think why? fall of 2020. Yeah, so two years. Thanks, Ian. Uh, sorry. Pat, I, my Pat I, math I, was, was exactly right. <laughs> yeah, well, I was doing my own Pat math. <laughs> Ian math? Shaky. Um, <clears throat> so we've said it before. I, I mean, I'm, I'm just shocked that Sony was the first and not Nintendo. That's all. Since Nintendo has Nintendo's done, already got one foot out the door. But they've the had best. one foot out the yeah, door for, for like four years. Three, exactly. Because they do their own like three or four Nintendo directs a year. Sometimes it seems like it's more. Uh, you know, one every th- few months they do a Nintendo Direct. They so every- and everyone knows about it. At the same time, it it took it took the place of their, you know, their uh, on stage presentations that would happen at E3. I was at the Wii U one when they when they and that was what 2011. Uh, I was at that one, and that was my first E3. And like, yeah, this is cool. But even back then, they could have just put an announcement on YouTube. But it took some time to evolve. YouTube took some years to evolve to where it was. You still had sites like Game Trailers that were huge for news and sure. uh, sites like IGN everyone would go to first. But since then, the past seven years, there's you can skip the middleman. You can you can skip spending 
however many I don't know what a Nintendo booth costs. I'm not I'm guessing with all said and done, it cannot cost them less with with setup and labor and and uh, hiring the people to demo the games and end the space. I cannot picture it costing less than 150 grand. Just I, I'm just throwing that number out there. It has to be. It might be more. I was gonna say that seems uh, cheap. You think it seems cheap? But uh, that's what you see. What I'm saying though. Yeah. For all that work versus, well, let's just create our own video. We just show gameplay footage. We'll have a guy announce this and tell, say exactly what we're going to say. No, there's no technical mishaps that can happen when the Wi-Fi goes down in the room or some shit happens, uh, or or you know something wrong with the video or someone flubs their lines or does something embarrassing on stage, which has happened at these uh, presentations before. Let's control it ourselves. And maybe Sony's realizing that as well. Uh, but Nintendo does well at, at, at E3 just because they also have their, their you know, they have the, uh, what is it, the, the tree, tree... Treehouse. Treehouse right afterwards. They, they do, like, live interaction. So I see that. Uh, maybe Sony realizes that's not our audience. So, you know, we're, we're not going to cater to that. We're going to stay away. You know? Yeah, I, I just... I I don't see if they don't come back the following year, I could see more people falling off and this being a, a a rapid. Well, they could be testing the waters. Maybe they realize that there's really no effect of us not going to this. Yeah, right? well, I, that's kind and of maybe what I'm other thinking, companies so... will follow suit and be like, well, they just saved a couple hundred thousand dollars and all this pain and ink and effort to put this on. What? Why do? Why are we going? And then it's a domino effect, and then it becomes like an indie event. Only or, or or smaller developers going forward, yeah. Instead of like these these gigantic or or you have a Fortnite booth, you know, some indies. It's an epic mega games booth. Yeah. So all right, Ian, we we've uh, gone back and forth about the probability of N sixty four classic so happening. Uh, the, the SNES and NES ones have been successful, but we've got some updated news from Nintendo directly about this yeah so it i mean at least as of this year which should have been obvious the n64 classic uh does not look like it's going to be happening at least not in the f- near future that's uh from uh that's directly from reggie directly from the man um the man with the plan so they were uh discussing a few things um uh in new york uh, this week um he was talking about the holidays and things like that um, but there was a, a portion where they talked about the Nintendo 64 uh, Classic, and uh, Reggie touched on a couple of points, um, and there's some things that I think people have forgotten about uh, from the business uh, standpoint of this, not the popularity standpoint that uh, he, he brought up. One, um, he brought up that the you know the classics, especially the NES Classic, which which they flubbed the first time, but it was originally supposed to be sort of a stopgap between um, the Nintendo wasteland of products. The, for, yeah, it was supposed to years. it was supposed to fill a void, supposed to fill the void between the Wii U and the Switch. Well, it, it did marketing wise, but not to fulfill consumer needs. Right, exactly. Marketing wise, it did the trick, um, but there just weren't any. So then they did it again with the SNES Classic, and they redid the the NES Classic basically got them into the hands of the people who wanted them but nintendo doesn't need to fill a void anymore uh they've got the the switches in production it's 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 available yeah you can find us doing gangbusters um you know vonnie was at the uh the military the navy exchange uh with her mom two days ago and she said that it was packed with switch stuff looking like it was getting ready for 
the holiday this weekend. You have bu- you have bundles that'll be available. Right. You got Smash coming out. So once again, it's a matter of you know people want this, but Nintendo's running a business, so it's not it's not just a matter of of popularity. Um, Reggie also brought up that you know with uh, people aren't exactly happy with the amount of games on the. Uh, the you know Nintendo on Switch and stuff like that. Um, I, I didn't like all of his answers here. Well, you know you can buy an SNES Classic or a you know Nintendo Classic. Well, okay, the NES Classics already got a bunch of redundancies when it comes to the games that are on the uh, Switch Online service okay. and the actual system. Um, but he did mention that you know going forward that it might be. Uh, you know, that it's likely that you'll see a lot of these classic game efforts from Nintendo appearing on the Switch and maybe not so much the standalone systems, which, of course, caused... Uh, who was it at Kotaku? Steven Totillo to ask, um, you know, if this meant that we would see more than NES games on the Switch, to which um, Reggie, you know, basically gave a non-answer. Uh, I th- well, say, well, we got to release more NES games. First. Yeah, and, and Super Nintendo games have to come on it. Yeah, so well, that's what I mean. He just said more than just NES games, and Reggie's response was weirdly, "Well, not all the NES games are on there yet." And it's like, do you have a finite number in, in mind, or you know, whatever? Still, um, he I, said uh, when he asked would you, directly, "Would you rule out N64 Classic coming?" He said, "I would not ever rule something out, but what I can tell you is that's certainly not in our planning horizon." I've never heard that turn of phrase before. Planning horizon. Is that, is that like uh, sky blue, uh, blue sky? This idea, I don't know, Reggie. That's a new one. Yeah, your planning horizon. Um, I, I I think what it I, I think it does make sense to even though they haven't announced it and it may take Nintendo eighteen years to do it because it takes them forever to do anything. Um, hopefully it'll be sooner than later. They really do need to focus on getting the older games onto the Switch from other systems as well. Sure. It, it worked for the virtual console. I don't know why they're being so adamant against it now. I don't. I, I mean, I always wonder if Nintendo constantly flip flops this based on marketing at the time. Maybe they were just saying that because they wanted to sell the classics and the SNES minis. Maybe they'll flip flop totally, you know, at the start of next fiscal year and be like, okay, here we're going to put them all on there. I, I I don't know what the reasoning it's a, is, well, but it, it it just doesn't make sense to me. It's a bullet in their in the in the chamber. Right, right. If something, if there's nothing, say in the spring, there's nothing really to announce. Hey guys, there's 30 Super Nintendo Classic games that you, you didn't buy the Super Nintendo Classic. Okay, now it's on this. You know what I mean? Like that's probably a thought. I would also maintain that it's probably better not to do this before the holidays because this will be the first holiday season where you actually can buy the NES and SNES Classic probably you know easily. So this could be their way of waiting, and they realize they flubbed the releases of two. Have people purchase them first. Wait till after the holidays. By the way, guys, now you know, and maybe in February, March, you can play Star Fox Two on your Switch. That could be a, a way about it too. They might want to make up for lost revenue that they screwed up in. I don't blame them. I'm not sure it's all going to come back, but I still haven't seen a commercial for the NES Super Nintendo Classic ever. I've seen a lot of Switch commercials though, a lot um, more than Wii U ever did throughout its entirety. I've seen, um, but. I think that's what they're probably thinking. I, I, I don't know if it has to do... Well, the NES and Super Nintendo were, you know, two sides of, of the same coin in terms of you know, what you would take to bring those to market. Sure. The internal, the internal guts were the same. 
the amount of space you needed was the same. N64, there's something more going on. Plus, N64 looks like ass on a modern TV. I mean, there's also that, too. It's, it's a almost be careful what you wish for thing when people start playing N60, uh, uh, play Mario 64 on their, you know, uh, 4K TV. Monkey's paw, finger curling. Is that what? The monkey's paw. Be careful what you wish for. Oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, but you see what I'm saying, though? Yeah. And, and, and could they, without the rare... We talked about how hard it would be impossible to get the rare titles, uh, the company rare, because of the Microsoft affiliation... So would you have twenty games that you would get that would be a surefire well, maybe hit? Maybe not. I mean, you got the you got Donkey Kong Country on the NES or on the Super Nintendo Classic. Oh, is that? But is there a different relationship with those games because it's Donkey Kong? I don't know. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, yeah, that's true, possibly. Versus a, a Golden Eye, which with with license on top, that would be impossible. Well, of course, to get on yeah, there. You could, you get and that. then you have the controller issue. Those controllers are more expensive than a crappy little Super Nintendo one or NES one. And then you got to deal with getting four to people for the party games. It's just not of a simple structure as it was with the NES and Super Nintendo Classic on top of that. And then people, I think people would also be pissed about not having those rare titles on there. They would be pissed. You know, people are pissed about the, the Sony one. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah. sometimes it's better not to if you don't think you can get the games. I mean, do we really want a half-assed N64 Classic that doesn't have the games you want on there? Or do you just want one shoveled out? I mean, look at the PlayStation 1 Classic. I mean, we're not doing our own topic on it, but that release list was not particularly... No, that was average. Yeah, it was You want to say it was average? Yeah, it was Slightly average. above average or average? People... Well, we did talk about it. I mean, but yeah. yeah but, but that's was... the whole point, is that the NES and Super Nintendo were uh, very good. Like, very good to excellent. Nintendo so... was pretty good. The Super Nintendo, I mean, for all... The, like, I've, I've said it a bunch on here, but for all the shit I give the Super Nintendo, the Super Nintendo Classic selection was... It's great. No filler, really. No, it was... There, there was slight filler on the NES one, but I'm not an Ice Climber fan, sorry. Both of them are... Both Ghosts and Goblins, uh, I would have done something else, and they couldn't get Contra for Super C. That was, to me, the only black eye on that. Exactly. I think that was honestly the my biggest issue. Was, well, I was probably Konami saying, no, we, yeah. it's a bit more valuable, no one cares about Super C. Right. So, all right. I, well, we'll see when the, there's a next, you know, sort of dry landscape, but I don't think it's going to happen because we have Super Switch next year by a year from now so maybe in a couple years we get the n64 classic or not i mean we'll, we'll see what uh what happens in the land of the land of uh, nintendo ian there's a buzzy gift on everyone's uh, wish list this year it's quip it's something they'll use twice every day it's been featured on oprah's o-list and it's perfect for everyone with a mouth have, have you been enjoying your quip ian i have i've been enjoying using it the uh the uh, massaging is very relaxing. Sensitive sonic vibrations, g- gentle enough on your sensitive gums, and a built-in timer with guiding pulses to remind you when to switch sides. Uh, give it as a gift this holiday season. It's uh, fancy. It looks nice. It'll work as a great stocking stuffer. Absolutely. It's not very expensive. Um, they'll use it all the time. It's something that you'll be sure that they're using. Uh, it lasts a lifetime. It's got a lifetime guarantee. And... Um, if you're uncertain, it has extended. Um, they have extended returns. Uh, if you're uncertain this season, uh, if you purchase one between the 23rd of November and the 23rd of December, um, you'll be able to exchange it if they're not happy with it. Four sleek metallic handles, and you get two poppy plastics. So there you go. Uh, you can also stick it. There's a little attachment. You can just stick it on your on your uh, mirror, and you just do that, or use it as a travel 
travel case. All right, the special offer right now. Go to getquip.com slash CU podcast. You'll get your first refill brush pack for free with a Quip electric toothbrush. You don't have to tell the person you're getting it that you got part of that for free. That's your first refill pack for free at G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash CU podcast. And give a healthy mouth gift for the holiday season. Healthy mouth gift, yeah. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, options, and cryptos all commission-free. They strive to make financial services work for everyone, not just the wealthy. Non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with true confidence. It's a simple, intuitive, clear design with data presented in an easy-to-digest way. So it's simple to go through. You can, uh, just in just four taps on your smartphone, you could buy and sell stocks. You can look at market data. You can look at, look at recommendations. The best part about it for me is that there's no cost or commission fees. Usually you sign up online for one of these uh, st- stock trading websites. You're going to be charged $10 uh, for every trade. Robinhood doesn't charge commission fees. You trade stocks and keep all of your profits. So Robinhood is giving listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. Sign up at cupodcast.robinhood.com. That's cupodcast.robinhood.com. Ian's in hoodie mode. Yeah. Prima books shutting down, Ian. What, do you, what are your thoughts on this? <laughs> on one hand... Um, well, what is Prima books? Ian? So, okay. Prima books... <laughs> Prima Books was, uh, I, I want to say, probably, well, at this point, they would have been the, the largest publisher of um, strategy guides. I think the only publisher of strategy guides left, or the, the biggest publisher of strategy guides left in the uh, U.S. Um, they acquired Brady Games, I think, uh, a couple of years ago. That was another big publisher. They were the two big ones. I, at least yeah. I know of, I know yeah. of by name. There was Going Prima, back to what, the early 90s? Early 90s. Let me see this Prima Games history. And... Um, you know they were ubiquitous. They were everywhere. Uh, you'd go to pick up a new RPG or a fighting game or something like that. Middle Gear Solid at GameStop and uh, EB Games, and right there next to the counter would be that big stack of the guides. You know, usually twelve ninety nine to nineteen ninety nine or something like that. And they'd always try to hook you with one. And um, the vision of Penguin Random House. And uh, yeah, I think for a lot of people, these guides are. Um, you know, as much a part of, you know, their memories of the games as, as the games are themselves. Uh, you know, the Pokemon ones always sold gangbusters. Oh, oh those were, yeah, those were collectible, some of those still, right? I, they, I mean, they're, they're to a degree. They put yeah. cards in them. And, uh, they're and, just really well done. Some yeah, of them, yeah. like the Gen, the Gen 4 one, the one for the DS for Diamond Ruby, or uh, Diamond Pearl, and... Um, Jesus Christ, Ferguson. Diamond, Sapphire? Pearl, and uh, no. Silver, diamond, gold, blue. Platinum. Platinum. Diamond, Pearl, yeah, Diamond, Pearl, and Platinum. <laughs> is like, it's, it's, it's massive. I mean, it's like a fucking yeah, Bible. But even me looking through it, when I picked them up at the swap meet or seen them, I was like, oh, yeah, these are cool. There's colorful pictures of every uh, Pokemon and all the stats and everything. And they're, they were thorough. So, real so, quick, uh, 1990, they were founded. They've uh-huh. done over 1,400 titles, over 90 million sales. Jesus. So, yes, the quality of some were great. The quality of others were awful. You know, you could tell that some were rushed and some were really well done. Um, But 
as time has gone on, I mean, I even I had some strategy guides. I think my favorite strategy guide was not a Prima one. It was uh, the uh, Versus guide. Made, uh, Versus made the guide for Final Fantasy VII that I remember. Notable titles, according to Wikipedia. Mist. That was probably a huge one in the beginning. Yeah. The official strategy guide. You probably needed that to complete the game for some people. That sold 1.25 million copies. Holy crap. In all versions. Seventh guest, X-Wing and TIE Fighter. Both of them, they did strategy guides. Now, to me, that's weird just because I don't know what sort of strategy guide would help you, you know, protect your freighter from getting shot up from TIE Fighters. Uh, protect your freighter. That's the, that's the guide. Yeah. Don't let them get close with those <laughs> TIE bombers. And, th- and those were the, the toughest missions in those games. Or, oh, yeah. or escort missions. Escort missions or are a bane. Whoa, those were bad. They're awful. I hate um, escort missions. Let's see. Secret of Mana, uh, Prince of Persia. Secret of Mana one's really cool if you've never seen it. It looks like a giant book. Special Sonic like the Hedgehog book. book. Uh, and then two Earthworm Jim strategy guides. So those were the big hitters, it seems like, in the in the early uh, years. They also did, it looks like, uh, some sort of... Uh, I don't know that they did an electronic delivery system. They tried in 2005... Uh, they tried doing that. I don't know if that did well or not. Probably not. I mean, they, they've had the the air taken out of them, obviously, with the internet. Oh, that's where I was going. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so we all use them, but as early as, I mean... Mid-90s. Mid-90s, you could you could go online for a lot of this stuff. And get and, your nice text pad version. And as... GameFAQs uh, was back then, even, right? Or Yes. When did GameFAQs start? And as... Um, you know, places like Game FAQs, Game Facts got you know more and more popular. You started to get all these guides online, and for a lot of people, Game Facts. And for a lot of people, the you know the the there was something to be said for a well done glossy guide. If you needed one or you wanted to use one, that was right there because it would show you pictures, and that was easy. It was nice to have bestiaries in the back. For a lot of people, including myself, if I needed to look something up. I was content saving the 15 bucks and just scrolling through the, the, the text sure. document. Um, and as time went on, I think more and more people realized that. I think more than text documents, so what really killed uh, guides for people is, is Let's Plays and, and videos. Um, I can't stand looking stuff up that way, but lots of people do. And it seems like people use Let's Plays almost as like a, a playthrough guide. They'll go through what? the game with it. Um, it drives me nuts because I can't. It's so hard to just look up that one stupid specific yeah, question. Yeah, you can't flip like, to a page. Like, you know, yeah. where's that one switch or where's this one box yeah. I need? I can't find. There's it. There's no table of contents in the video on YouTube yeah, for a, yeah. for a, a, a two-hour let's play. Even a you know a pictureless text guide on GameFAQs, it's it's pretty easy to figure that out. You know, oh, it's this one behind. Okay, I didn't go there. But you know, that was a nice thing about a guide. If you needed it, was open it. Oh. I didn't see it. It's right there. You it's know, you also check. well. IGN got into this business too. Mm-hmm. I mean, they basically created. Um, oh yeah, they've got yeah they've got they have the, a whole division that does that does like guides. game guides. Yeah, and, and they do videos and they just do walkthroughs basically. Yeah. So they've t- taken the, the they've taken a chunk out of uh, Prima Books hide as well over the years. So there's a so, bunch of factors contributing to this. Yeah. Obviously, is it because people are buying less books? I don't know about that. No, necessarily, because overall people are still buying books. No, and, and a lot of these, a lot. I, I think another thing that kind of would would hurt something like uh, a company like Prima is a lot of guide, a lot of games that they, in just guides in general. I, I keep saying Prima because that's the company that's closing down. But in general, a lot of games just ended up getting guides that didn't need them. 
you know, I, I don't know, I don't think it was every year, but I remember there had to, there was some years where like Madden games got a guide, and it's like not every game needs a strategy guide. You're wasting money, paper, resources, time, money by printing out guides for some of these games that just absolutely don't need them. CNET bought them in 2003. Did not know that. So it, you know, oh, no, I was GameFAQs. Sorry, I don't have GameFAQs one. It makes more sense for you know a company say like IGN or any other website that's going to do a good. Guide with pictures and stuff like that. I wonder if Prima, if they, they if they diversified more and had their own online presence, own website, own YouTube channel, if that would have helped stem the tide. If they, if they built it off their name brand and did more with that. Maybe, maybe not. Because these people are playing through these games to make these books, right? They're putting together all this information. So, do they have a YouTube channel? Prima Games YouTube. Do they even have one? They have Prima Games Video. Okay, I didn't even know this. So, 54,000 subscribers. Uh, they have like a Red Dead Redemption playlist. You click on their videos. Are people watching them? No, they're not. I mean, that's sad, but true. 200 views, 100 views. So, like I said, I didn't even know about them having this. Maybe it was too little, too late. Yeah. You know, coming around. Super Mario Party, how to use Amiibo, 772 views from a month ago. Super Mario Party, how to unlock secret characters, 1.1,000. Yeah, that's not going to get it done. Um, they probably had to be on that real early in order to and really market that to have an impact. But like I said, uh, IGN, GameSpot, all these websites are doing something similar. You know, they're putting out tons of of uh, written content, pictures, and they're doing video as well. So they're going to be closed. Penguin Random House announced that they're going to be closed by quarter two, 2019. So it's a lot of 1,400 titles they covered. That's a ton. You still fine with the swap meet? Brady, Brady Games and, and, and Prima. They're, they're, and you can still, like I said, some people buy them. The Pokemon ones still sell. People still want them. Um, I was trying to look and see. Oh, that was a Brady Games one. Uh, it wasn't Prima. but you, know, I, well, you remembered one? Yeah, no, I was trying to remember. Um, so it was Final Fantasy IX. Uh, it was when uh, guides were trying to deal with like the integration of the internet and stuff like that. Oh, they bought Brady in 2015, by the way. Oh, okay, that's one. Which makes sense. And um, guides were trying to, I think, figure out how to, like, connect with the internet or, you know, kind of deal with the incoming internet and stuff like that. You know, the fact that people could get, you know, a lot of these tips and answers from the internet. And the um, Final Fantasy IX guide uh, by Brady Games had a, a feature called Play Online, which was a portal that square made and basically like you'd go through the guide and it would tell you about stuff that you could do in that area but then it would make you go online to the play online site and like put in like a code or something to tell you more about what you should do in that location so basically it was a you paid like 20 bucks for a guide that told you to go online to another strategy guide well that's not that's not good that's not gonna help anyone out yeah one of the worst strategy guides ever that's, that just sounds like a pain in the ass. It, it is. Anyways, well, I just had to look I, I still up. think it's going to be a shame because it's always nice to, you know, you have the book on your lap and you're playing the game versus looking at your phone on the game. It's just different. It's, it's like you're an explorer and you have your map or your book with you. Your right? atlas, yes. Your atlas as you're going through things. Mm-hmm. They didn't have smartphones in medieval times or you're exploring caves. They didn't have that stuff. You had a book. Old guide. Here's to you, Prima. Thanks for helping us read about Mist and TIE Fighter. All right, this is uh, some retro gaming news, Ian. Yeah. Uh, the National Video Game Museum tweeted this out. It's also on Atari Age. 
So they discovered the mini Vectrex. Someone, someone dragged it out of, of some retro gaming wormhole that <laughs> and presented it. So it's a mini Vectrex. It's so cute. Uh, according to the National Video Game Museum, they're down in Texas. I still have to visit them. Uh, run by Joe Santulli, uh, Sean Kelly, and uh, John Hardy. Uh, so the, the pictures of the console cropped up a few years back. No one was quite quite knew the story of the prototype. Until now, we're happy to announce it's an actual unit, and, con- and, and this controller are now part of the National Video Game Museum's permanent archive. So it looks like, as you see one of those portable TVs you take to the beach in the 80s. Yeah. One of those like black and white ones where it's it's long, it's a big, it's a big uh, rectangular cube. Yeah, it's deep and short. And uh, remember, Al Bundy had one. And Married Children that went to the beach. That episode was funny. And so you pick it up off the off the top, and then uh, well, there's no color on a Vectrex technically, so I guess it's black and white still. Yeah, uh, <laughs> there's one color with the vector, and the controller uh, looks like the same joystick type. It's a it's a somewhat smaller looking joystick. So the buttons are four red juicy buttons. Instead of uh, numbered one, two, three, four, uh, circular across, there's just four lined up, which I don't know if that's better or worse. I don't know. It depends on the game. I mean, I haven't played uh, Spike in a long time on on Vectrex, so I don't know. (laughs) The only platformer on on the Vectrex, I think. I I like the Vectrex, but I don't. I mean, I don't know that either of those control schemes are great. (laughs) Here's the thing. Uh, Then they did. They turned it on. Uh, There's a video where they turned it on here. Um, and then they play, and Mindstorm was built in, of course, because it was built in, which is just a nice, nice, nicely done ripoff of, of Asteroids. And so there it is. Uh, it's not that mini. So when you say mini, yes, according to the, the Vectrex is, is a gigantic. Uh, it, it's like a Stonehenge face, uh, or no, not Stonehenge, Stonehenge block. Easter Island, head, yeah. I should say, yeah. It's not but real mini. It's, it's not mini. It's, it's smaller. It's shorter. It's shorter, but it's but it's longer. Yeah, it, it, it probably weighs roughly the same. If you probably put it next, <laughs> they probably weigh exactly the it's same. It's just a redistribution of weight. Yes, I think. yes. But yes. I love the look of it. The, yeah. the look of it is awesome. Uh, so let's go on Atari to see what the thoughts were there. Because at what point w- would they have thought we're going to come out with a mini Vectrex? Because the Vectrex came out right before the video game crash. Yeah. So a year before. So at what point did they say, we want to get back into this market and sell our, 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 our last few pole position games we have left? You I know, have our no last idea. Few Star Trek games. The other thing is that obviously it does not look like it would take the overlays, which is a very strange thing to well, me. Well, the overlays, if someone else knows, they're, they're the plastic colored uh, gel plastics that gave some sort of life to the games and in some cases give uh, outlines for um, what was the, the, the combat uh, ripoff uh, it helped you see like the borders when you're when your tanks roaming around there yeah things like that for the most part though you don't need them it's just it's just a little bit of flavor yeah they're so, nice um, but yeah I don't think um, yeah I don't think that this one would so this was it. discovered by an accomplished Vectrex homebrew programmer named Manu. Report at vectrex.co.uk. Um, it's a five-inch vector monitor. Five-inch. Five-inch. Oh, that is mini. Okay, but it's so long. I'm looking at it wrong then. Okay, I thought it was like the... Wow, that's crazy. That is really, that is what the one you take to the beach. That's exactly what that is. Oh, okay. So then it absolutely is not. Yeah, then it doesn't take the overlays, of course. Five-inch monitor. Wow. That's insane. Would you take your Vectrex to the beach? When would you need when would you need a portable Vectrex that's not as portable as the one that's already portable with a hand? Like, how much space are you really trying to save there? Right. 
I don't know. Are you going to take it to work? <laughs> this is not. You're, a, not, you're not going to take it on the subway. This and find is not out. a space saving. Uh... Does it take batteries? Maybe it does take batteries. That one way can be. It can be. Uh, it can be portable. I love this thing. It's so dumb. Uh, so this has been rumored for years. It sounds like. I'm looking at Nintendo Age. The posts go back seven years on this. Uh, on, on Nintendo Age, 2011. Oh yeah, looking at it, it is so tiny when it's in action. Yeah, it's 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 a. Uh, it's adorable. So the the, the threat in Nintendo Age starts 2011, stops, and then all of a sudden, hey, this is really cool. Here it is. <laughs> it's a thing. <laughs> so that it's it's, uh, it's something you're you're surprised. The CRT is mounted vertically. Someone said, looks like the monitor is horizontal instead of vertical. I guess this would have made it incompatible with the original Vetrix. Nope, the CRT is mounted vertically. Reference the internal photos of the mini Vetrix via the Vetrix Fans Unite page. Well, I didn't know there's a Vetrix Fan Unite page. Okay. And so Sean Kelly, who's obviously, he's, he's responsible. He's a, a big guy in the Vetrix. He did the, the you know, the multi-carts. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And he's involved with uh, the Video Game Museum. He's big on this stuff. So, okay, it's always cool when this stuff pops out, uh, for sure. I would like to just see five, a five-inch screen Vectra, that's that's tiny. I, I you like squint to see that, right? <laughs> that's just a cool thing in general that it exists a five inch vector. I just want to know the story about at that point was it not Milton Bradley anymore? Right? They said they sold GCE. the rights. It was always GCE. Wait, who made who made it? GCE. That's never Milton Bradley. Never ever Milton Bradley. Let me see. I thought they sold it to someone the original versus. No, it was Milton Bradley. Oh, GCE then. They sold it to Milton Bradley. Oh, GCE sold it to Milton Bradley. I can hate you. Okay, well, well GCE was the original. Milton Bradley okay. didn't sell So it. Milton Bradley gets this, and, and they think, okay, video games are dead. Uh, it'd be funny if this was like late 80s response to the Game Boy. Like, it could have been that late. <laughs> Probably not. I'm just trying to think, again, when could a portable <laughs> version of this hunk Oh, which I love the Vetrix, but when would that work out? Anyway. All right. Anything else to add here? No. No? It's, it's great, it, It's great to see. It's, it's, I, it's, 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 I, it's beautiful. I love the design. I feel it. bad every year. I, I always miss out going to the, the video game uh, museum when I go to Retropalooza. So it's not far away. I, I got to get there. Almost, I almost feel like I got to take a special uh, trip out there. All right, Ian. Uh, you so, know, we're, we're big fans of, of graded games. But, but honestly, our coverage of, of WADA has been positive. They, they've been doing things the, the right way in terms of transparency about who's grading these games. Uh, it's run by people in the community that are trusted. Uh, the cases are better than, than the uh, VGA, Video Game Authority cases, from what I've seen. Yep. And it just seems like a, a nice... Uh, it's good to have competition because you get better things. Um, yeah, I, I still feel weird about grading video games, but I still feel like, uh, at least as far as the options go, that WADA is is the one doing it at least the way that I I, I I feel like at least if you're gonna be grading games have have people behind it who are passionate about it um, and wada is teaming up with um, heritage auctions um, to um, start getting these games out onto an auction market into other collectors hands perhaps to um, you know open up the world of the, the this, uh, this this sort of collecting to people who might not People who have money people that didn't know money. this was a thing before. Exactly. Because that, that's what happened with comic books. Yep. That's what happened with baseball cards and, and other things where, okay, I have money to burn and I want to buy something. I'm a millionaire. I have tons of money. What, what's out there? 
So I'll try to remain objective on this and how I feel about, you know, that lots of things can happen with that, that, that. However, I do feel like that being with heritage auctions and WADA showing what I've seen before, reading what I've read before and talking with them how I have before, I do feel like the heritage auctions team up with WADA does help legitimize WADA a bit more. Does it legitimize rhetoric and collecting in general, or does it even need that association? I don't know that it needs the association, but I do think it does. I think there's something to be said about having um, a grading company that is, I guess, taken seriously enough to be. Um, I don't know a ton, but Heritage Auctions, if I'm not mistaken, is considered generally fairly decent. They, they are. They are. Well, they're always at Comic Con, right? Yes. They they are considered, I guess, for this sort of stuff, repu- very reputable. Reputable. That, that, yeah. yeah. That's so. I I feel like it, it's 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 good for Wada because it's a reputable auction. Um, it's a reputable reputable auction agency working with them, and it's good for Heritage because they don't really have any sort of. There's video no risk. Game there's, well, there's no risk to them getting involved with this, right? And I guess to see what the market bears out if there's a guy buying golden age comics who sees a graded game maybe he says okay i'll spend more money on this because other people are i mean the press release even says what well, what's the advantage sellers get exposure to the massive bidding pool over 1 million registered bidders i'm a registered bidder on heritage auctions back before i bought uh, my condo i was looking for amazing fantasy 15 i should have bought it but you know I, i've been on there i've bid on stuff uh and collectors, uh, a million registered bidders and collectors at Dwarfs eBay. Each week, Heritage Comic Book Auctions realize nearly 400,000, and the signature auctions that occur every three months regularly surpass 8 million. While our community here is a wonderful, wonderful, tight-knit group of collectors, there are many more collectors out there who use Heritage but aren't on Nintendo Age, as well as collectors who have been interested in video games but never found an opportunity to jump in, jump in head first. Now's their chance. So they're, they're doing a campaign to get people to consign. Obviously, they need that, uh, people to jump in. And get going with that. So the good news is that, yeah, for, objectively, you have uh, a lot more buyers potentially. Sellers can make more money. The bad news is that you can get into this weird inflection point where all of a sudden then you have everyone going buying every sealed game because they see how well it does in right. average auctions. Exactly. To flip them. Right. And that, of course, is the... <laughs> yeah, that, that's where a problem can occur and that you know it, it, that had that did occur in places like comics and in other you know areas of memorabilia and collecting and things like that um but you know i don't know as, as far as the partnership between them or you know wada doing this with heritage auctions I, as far as uh you know they're grading their cases uh you know what they um what am i trying to say their standards um at least on that level i'm behind wada i think for a lot of this, you know, doing the heritage auction stuff, I think a lot of it is optics as well. It makes it, it makes them look more well, yeah. prestigious. The, and a lot of this yeah. business is optics. They've, so they've I eaten, understand they've that. They've eaten VGA's lunch. Yeah. In, in less than a year. Which is great. They, I, I that's mean, fine. I'm happy with that. Absolutely, because we don't we sort of know who does the, the grading at VGA for the games. It all, it all goes back to me having an extreme distaste for the, the process at VGA being... Freaking magic! It's in, a, it's in a black box. It's a, it's, a, it's magic. Yeah. So um, this is interesting. I I am interested in seeing what prices these things get. What goes up there? Um, 
now that it's going to be through heritage auctions, are we going to see suddenly, you know, box copies of games that no one cares about, uh, but that have, you know, say ties to movies or comics no suddenly going for more? I mean, that's something that I'm interested in seeing. Like, so would NWC go on, go up on there and go for a quarter million dollars? Like, will we see those? And will we see a sealed Super Mario Brothers? Instead of going for thirty thousand, go for a half a million dollars. Will we see these jump ups in price? Will Will a sealed Terminator go up there and get more than it should? Because I don't know. There's uh, There's hot Arnold merchandising going on up there at some time, or something comic related get more than it normally would. Because it, do you get what I'm saying though? Just because it's being exposed to a new audience yeah. that collects different yeah. stuff, even Is if ninety percent d- don't care about it, ninety percent you might have some people say, "Oh, I'll, I'm interested. I want it because I have more money than I than I can spend. I'll pick this shit up." Yeah, it's just exposing stuff to a new, new people that maybe they maybe they don't know. I will I will caution it with though that in terms of um, it, it's a huge it's a it's a totally different medium than comic collecting. Yeah, comic collecting is so much easier to handle on. Coin collecting is easier to get a handle on. Uh, any, anything else video games is probably the hardest thing to wrap your mind around because due to the amount of different systems the rarities in each system it's, it's not like oh, yeah there's rare Pat there's rare comics you have to discover yeah but it's a limited the amount that people are actively searching for at one time uh, is so much more than than with the video games there's, it just is uh, the ones that people have to worry about, and and plus, in terms of the new systems constantly coming out, the, the new comic books. I'm sure some come up on Heritage. I haven't seen in a while, but it's mostly silver and golden age, and some bronze age stuff. That stuff we know what the stuff that or the people want. That's not changing. Uh, with video games, it's changing every few months. Another rare game or some weird variant that comes out, or people pump up, oh, there's this Super Nintendo game we didn't realize was, you know, Hagana used to be cheap until someone said, well, it was a rental only, so now the value is up 100 times. It's a different market. So I guess we'll see how many people latch on to it. I just know that at Comic-Con, there were graded games at Comic-Con, I think I told you this a couple years ago, and then they weren't there after that one year. Sure. They just weren't. Because I wonder if they realized that, well, we don't know what we're doing, or we don't know, maybe there's a much smaller audience for this stuff than we think. Yeah, and well, game grading was younger then too. I mean, maybe it needs to get its foothold. I, I don't know. Pat, we're talking about Eero, um, a router and uh, beacon system for uh, Wi Fi. Wi Fi. Uh, single router model doesn't really work anymore with the, uh, the bandwidth world and the large uh, spaces, the houses that we have. Yeah. Your, 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 your everyone's on, on their yeah. estate. Everyone's on their mobile device or, or smartphone or tablet, and everyone's watching their 4K streaming Netflix. So what you need is a distributed system. With Eero, you can install a uh, fantastic uh, grade Wi-Fi system in just a few moments. It's very simple. The applets you manage your network from the palm of your hand. Uh, you'll know how many devices you have connected at any given point, as well as the internet speed that you're getting from your service provider. Um, traditional routers don't don't push software updates to customers so they're left open for cyber attacks. Eero will also help you automatically update that system so that you not only have the latest features, but the security at all times. So right now, uh, I'm looking at... I set this up. It's so easy to use this. It took less than 10 minutes out of the box. Uh, you put you, you connect your router to your existing modem, and then you set up your two beacons. You also can buy more, and it's all done originally through Bluetooth on your smartphone. And at that point, you just choose your network name and your password, and you're good to go. I, right now, I can see who's on the network. I have uh, Ian's laptop on the network. If I want, I can click on it and cut that sucker off right now if I wanted to. And of course, uh, I have 
uh, my laptop on here. And I also see right now what's going on with the network. I can see the down speed, up speed, what's going on, how many devices are connected. It's a great solution. It's mesh Wi-Fi. It's one Wi-Fi network throughout, extended throughout your, your, your home. They also have things like total network protection, advanced security, content blocking, ad blocking is available as well. So, right now, Ian, Whoa, right now, this moment, right now, never think about your Wi-Fi again after this. Right now, you can get $100 off the Eero base unit and two beacons package and one year of Eero Plus by visiting Eero.com, E-E-R-O.com slash CU podcast at checkout entering code CU podcast. And, and they also have, like we said, we, they have their uh, their Eero Plus as well, which is uh, protection on top of what you already get. So again, for for a hundred dollars off, that's a that's a chunk of change. It goes right back into Christmas gifts. Hundred dollars off the Eero base unit and two beacons package, and one year of Eero Plus. You visit Eero.com, two e's r o dot com slash cu podcast at checkout and enter code cu podcast. Ian, we like meat, don't we? We I like do. steaks, protein. We like pork, chicken, yes. burgers. Hot dogs. We love Omaha steaks. Indeed, we've spoken about it on the podcast before. Now they're partnering with us for our love of Omaha steaks and their fine meat. And now I'm getting hungry. So in the past, <laughs> almost just about every year, I've ordered at least one box of Omaha steaks package as a gift the holiday season. Um, they have great cuts of steak. Uh, they have uh, pork loins. They have uh, burgers. The best, some of the best hot dog franks I've ever had. See, I'm you know, excited to try those. I have not tried those yet. High quality stuff. I'm. If you, if you got a grill, I got my new uh, grill out there. Perfect for that. If you want to keep indoors for the holiday season, you can do that. But if you have a nice grill outside, you you can use it there. So they have more than just steaks, seafood, burgers, ham, skillet and slow cooker meals, desserts, even vegetarian offers. Right now, you can visit omahasteaks.com slash CU podcast and receive 10% off site wide and have access to a number of exclusive free shipping offers. But we also have, have a CU podcast holiday sampler. Yes. Here's the business two five ounce filet mignon, two five ounce top sirloins, four four ounce Omaha steak burgers, burgers. four three ounce gumbo, gumbo, four three ounce jumbo. Gourmet Franks, four three ounce kielbasa sausages, four four ounce caramel apple tartlets, and one point three three ounce signature seasoning packet. I made the fillets. I can tell you at rare, they are just delicious. And so that's sixty nine ninety nine before your ten percent off discount, and you get free shipping, which is a twenty dollar value. So that's a lot of meat for uh, just over sixty five dollars, right? Sixty yeah. pat man. No, that's sixty three dollars for. Pounds of meat. That's good, <laughs> yeah, meat. That's good meat. But if you don't want to get the CU podcast sampler, holiday sampler, maybe your parents don't know who the CU podcast is. <laughs> I don't know if our faces show up seared in the meat. Probably not. <laughs> but if not, you can get 10% off site wide by visiting omahasteaks.com slash CU podcast. Order that meat. It could be a great holiday. Not stocking stuffer. They won't fit. That's stocking. It's a giant stocking if you can fit all that filet mignon and top sirloin steaks. So, uh, Ian, how do you access the CU Podcast Patreon poll? So I got to tell you before I, I do this, I, uh, I I should have brought them, but I got a letter the other day. You got a letter? Uh, from oh, that's my, right. From a listener um, at work. Uh, it came it came to me at work, and uh, it was a very nice letter. 
Uh, the person, you know, just said, thanks for all you do. Love the podcast. So long. Thanks for all the fish. And uh, they said, I've included something to help you uh, during your tough times uh, during the Patreon segment. And uh, this person had <laughs> peeled off a chunk of about uh, 20 post-it notes and had written down the uh, Patreon web page on every post-it note. Yep, so I could stick them around here. I don't have them with me. But uh, on each of those post-it notes, it did say www.patreon.com slash podcast. That's how wow. You, that's how you with, with the with the World Wide Web with the www. Which you don't need anymore. Most websites, ninety nine percent of websites, you don't need that anymore. They yeah, sort of lock that yeah. off. Actually, there might have even been the HTTP. I'd have to check colon slash yeah. slash. Yeah, it might have been there. That, that's good. And, and there, Ian, you can access the full video form of the podcast, monthly hangouts with with him, and then, oh my god, I forgot to post your you, you, you completed on Saturday. I didn't post your weekly. Your weekly uh, writing yet. I got to oh. do that to the podcast. Well, there it so is. So we'll, 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 we'll have another one in a few days, <laughs> yep. and then we'll get back on schedule. So yes. you get the we, Ian's weekly writings, which hopefully we get in Thursday so I can remember to post them. Because <laughs> boom, boom. <laughs> uh, so the, this poll topic in third place was thoughts on 20 years of Half-Life. 20% wow, no one cares about Half-Life. I almost put it as a regular topic. We don't care about Half-Life I that much. I don't really care about it's Half-Life. A, I've Real heard quick. it's a very good game. I don't. I just... you, you never played it. Uh, one of the most important games ever. Sorry, Norm. Uh, is Half Life, and its impact is, is felt in every first person shooter from that point forward. And it's a shame we'll probably never get a true Half Life three. Um, what five games would you put in your personal arcade? Brought it back. Twenty seven percent. It made second place. Uh, and number one with a bullet at fifty three percent. What was the strangest way you acquired a video game as a child? My mom bought me Hudson Hawk for the Nintendo at a deli. I, well, I got to hear the story. It was at a deli sold NES games. So, <laughs> is the, that right? The deli, as far as I remember it, the grocery store that I went, one of the grocery stores we went to as a kid, had, um, it was a small one. And in the deli section, there was a small rack of Nintendo games that you used to be able to rent from. There was like a video counter. It was mostly a deli. It was like a circular rack. But there like was a comics. circular rack. It was like a circular comics with, rack. With just cartridges on it. With um, like little cards for the cartridges. Okay. Well, which is funny because one of the earliest retro gaming stores I used to visit in New Jersey, I believe it was Garwood. It probably still runs. They had records and CDs and they would have a, 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 the same thing. They would have it with the real games in it. They had the twirling rack where you put magazines or comic books for NES games. And... Uh, yeah, so it it was like this was the deli section, and it, it, that's all it was. It was just one rack games, and it had one rack with VHS tapes, and that was their rental section. It was just a, a, like twenty to thirty movies that they bought. To We're rent, talking yeah. like fifteen, like each, and yeah, they would just you know almost an honor system. They didn't yeah. have a system of. It was ooh. like they would change it out every once in a while, and you you took it up to like this little side counter next to the you know where you. Pull your tag and you order your fucking olive loaf and your Dutch loaf and your fucking the loaf. What's loaf. a Dutch loaf? I don't know. It's a fucking lunch meat of some sort, popular in the Northeast. I guess. Once you get to olive loaf, I'm out. With that head cheese <laughs> stuff. And, and want so, um, and then yeah, the one day we were there and you know we're getting lunch meat and stuff like that, and there's a small basket on top of the uh, the deli counter, and I remember there was a copy of Growl in there. Growl for the Genesis. 
Okay, I don't that play beat, that. That Taito beat-em-up where you beat up poachers. Oh, I think I own that. Just yeah. because it was cool, and I hate poachers. Yep. And I, I, like hate, I hate poachers, too. And Do that, I own that? I'm sorry, go on. And then there was a copy of Hudson Hawk in one of those fold-over plastic, plastic ones. rental cases with the instruction man, you know, I have, like, 40 of those inside. in the garage. Yeah. yeah. And, uh... Instruction man? Yeah, whatever. He Who has made a those? Name. He had a name. Who made those, I wonder? They yeah. Uh, and I was like, oh, Nintendo games. My mom's like, yeah. She picks it up out of the basket, and the woman said something like, those are, you know, extras, or those are ones we don't need anymore, ones that we're replacing. So my mom bought me um, Hudson Hawk for whatever it was. You like, remember how much it was? Probably like five bucks. With, 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 with no box, just in the clamshell. Yeah, with just the in instructions. the clamshell. Not it's even not... the cutout, where they cut out part of the box and put it on the front. No, it's just... I have Star Trek Next Generation. Like it was literally just like, they. it was like, okay, we're done renting this. We're replacing it, I guess. Because who would have rented Hudson Hawk more than once, first of all? <laughs> and I just remember her getting it in the same transaction. It's like know. a pound of salami. So One-stop shopping at your, your local <laughs> deli. Yeah. So... Get a sandwich, get a, get a pound of roast beef, <laughs> and get a coffee. shitty... A it's shitty NES game for... Oh. How much do you think it was? I think it was probably like five bucks. That's damn good. That's like... Because that's how much it used to cost sometimes to rent for a weekend. Like three, well, three four bucks. We we did not have money when I was growing up. And for my mom to make an impulse purchase on a Nintendo game we had never played before, it could not have been expensive. And, well, you think that was the only one there? It, literally, what I remember seeing... Oh. Now, I was short. But what I remember seeing was Hudson Hawk and Growl, specifically. That's, how old were you at the time? I was, I was probably... 10. Should have got that girl with a little money. I do own it without the manual, by the way. So, my my situation isn't a, where you can get lunch meats. <laughs> but, uh, so, in the summers, this would have been summer of... I want to say summer of 89 it probably was. Not 88. Let's check a certain NES guide app. This will help me with the story. And I've told the story before. I don't think in this much detail. I've mentioned it. But if not... Sorry, this is my it's weirdest story. It's my weirdest story. So, in the summers back in New Jersey, Chubby Plucky Pat and his mom would visit three different uh, flea markets during the week. There was one on, there was a couple on, fuck, there was one on Tuesday and Thursday. A church did it, and then there was a couple more. One was an Italian American club where I ended up getting my first LGN rubber WBF figures. Like I remember, got Iron Sheik and like uh, Andre the Giant with the long hair version. Short hair version is hard to find. And got a few others. We would hit those up, okay? But then there was this weird dirt Fro one. Version. The Fro version from yeah. the 70s. Yeah. But then there was a very weird flea market within literally eye shot of the New Jersey State Prison, <laughs> formerly Rawway State Prison. <laughs> so we would go there, and it was one of those outdoor, like, English town flea markets where there, there was, um, like, benches set up. To put up your stuff, like tables, you'd walk down the dirt path, like with gravel. Sure. Every every state has a flea market like this. But then you also had like the little sto mini storefronts. Yeah. I don't remember much from this flea market. We went there probably five to ten times. But I do remember this story. I remember this, not necessarily sketchy, but this guy probably, is, when, you're, when you're a kid, everyone seems like they're aged. But... He was probably in his 50s. I want to say mid-50s. He had glasses. He had. He almost looked like uh, the, the dad from You Can't Do That on Television. Kind of. Uh, Les Wiseman. Is that his name? Les Wiseman? Uh, do I have that right? If I know his name, that's great. Who's Les Wiseman? No, that's someone else. That's someone from Underworld. Okay, I'm totally off on that. <laughs> there is a Les Wiseman. Anyway, so we go up to this guy who has 
he's a little bit grumbly, a little bit quiet. And he has, which I didn't know at the time, but I now know is a shipping box of Jaws NES games. New. <laughs> there was so there was I don't know how many was in there still, five or six. Six is in a shipping box. And my first thing as, as a kid, I'm looking at I'm like, what the, how does this guy have new Nintendo games? <laughs> That's not possible to have that. And so, of course, my mom tried to be a good mom. We didn't have a ton of money either. We were middle, middle class. You know, we didn't go on vacations outside the Jersey Shore. I got maybe two or three new video games a year and uh, Christmas and, you know, birthday. So it's a big deal to see a new NES game, even if it's Jaws, which I hadn't played before. I, I probably saw it in Nintendo Power. So my mom asked, you know, how much is that from the guy? And the guy, I, I believe it was $10. Keep in mind, the cheapest NES game you can get at the time was probably 35 or $40 in 1989 dollars, which today is like double that, right? So, of course, my mom didn't ask the question. She bought me one, not yeah. knowing if it was good or not, and, of course, not asking if it was most likely stolen, because it was stolen. <laughs> it was absolutely was stolen. Sorry, guy who's probably dead by now who was selling them back then. Uh, you don't pick up Jaws shipping boxes and sell them, sell them at your flea market for $10 each. They fell off the back of a truck. I like how they probably mom- fell out of the prison within, <laughs> within eye shot. Someone tossed them out of the prison. He got hit in the head with a box of prison Jaws. Yeah, he said, hey, hey, sell these for me. I, I traded them for a carton of cigarettes and tossed them out. I, I like how uh, I, both your mom and my mom um, bought us uh, Nintendo games on the merit of them being... Cheap. cheap and well, cheap. <laughs> but when you're a kid, <laughs> though, that's a huge matter. deal. Yeah, it is. I got, yeah, I mean, yeah. My Hudson Hawk, like I said, could not have been more than 10. I'm guessing 5 if my mom just made an impulse purchase with us not having any money. <laughs> Same thing with 10. 10 bucks. So Jaws, Jaws, so, so yep. Jaws came out, according to a certain NES guide, at November 87. So this must have been summer of 88. So it was still probably available for sale uh, by then. I was 8 years old. I just had the NES in for like 6 months. At this point, six, seven months, I had it. And I got the game, and I liked the game. I like Jaws. Probably... You didn't like Hudson Hawk, but I like... No, I, I always... I, I think, to, I think it's like even it? in the guidebook. I think I talk about how I really like the first level of Hudson Hawk. I think it's the fantastic. First level. The first level is Jaws great. is a fine game. I give it three stars. I like Jaws. Certain, certain guidebook. An app that... Check it out. It's getting updated. Big big updates coming in 2019. Is Jaws an LJN? Yeah. That's would, easily but, my favorite. But it was LJN. developed by... Uh, I believe Atlas. Atlas. Yeah, was it Atlas? Um, no, nope. West West, West One Bit Entertainment. Entertainment. I don't know what else they did. Uh, Atlas did some other ones. Anyway, so that's my weird story. The Prison Jaws. I should have kept it because by now, according to that, we're worth one hundred fifty-two dollars, brand new, instead of ten dollars back at that flea market, probably in the summer of, of uh, eighty-eight. So that's my weird story. I said it before, and I'll say it again. Thanks to my mom for p- taking a chance. Uh, however, though, my mom did screw up once, and I remember crying about it. I was a kid. Uh, I said I wanted Contra, and she bought me Kung Fu, and that's in the book. My mom confused Contra and Kung Fu. <laughs> I guess because they all have a, a C uh, type of uh, sounding first letter. So. I had to look it up, and it, it is it's what I thought. Um, Westone, or Weststone, I, I Weststone? think. I think. Um, yeah, it's there who did Wonder Boy. Oh, Okay. Yeah. So there's my weird story. So uh, check out patreon.com slash you podcast. We don't need to stick a notes to remember uh, that right now. So anyway, uh, Q&A time on the CEO podcast. This is from at adultery 77. That was a good year for adultery. 1977. 
What do you guys think about the PlayStation Classic using rearmed instead of their own home-baked, already-developed, widely-used solution? Big up to the emu community, or big up yours? Wow. I like the emus. Um, I think it's... I mean, I... I think it's a pretty great acknowledgement of the fact that... um, whether it's intended to or not, I think it's a great acknowledgement of how far the emulation community has come in terms of what they can do. Um, Obviously, the fact that Sony feels that uh, Rearmed is uh, good enough to be used on an official Sony project is um, an incredible compliment to the people who have made it. I don't necessarily love that you know, there's no recognition in it for them. It is. It was open source. Um, they can use it. You know, without paying. Um, I don't know when it, when it. I mean, just in terms of what it what it means in terms of the quality of the work and, like I said, where emulation is right now. I think that's great. I think that says a lot. Uh, in terms of the murkier stuff, in terms of you know, Sony not doing that legwork themselves sony not bringing someone on from that project and paying them um sony you know not recognizing them basically sony not i guess pitching in uh that that i don't i don't like so much but i do think it's uh you know it's uh it's an incredible thing that well is it it better source community it's probably better than what they have in house then right it has to be yes because it's constantly being worked what i'm saying is though the fact that they couldn't you know bring someone on from those projects and make them something make them something extra versus you know have them make an official uh, an official port of it or something pay something pay them something for the work open source you don't have to no i'm using it legally if if there's a commercial license oh i realize I realize. I, mean, I know what you're saying, though. I, why, I realize. Why couldn't I, they have acknowledged it? More? Sure, acknowledge. Then again, it. it's their system going back. It is. So I, I mean, I, I don't. I don't have like a crazy strong not, opinion on this one way or another. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, you know, in Sony's corner in this, but it's like, well, you built an emulator based upon our intellectual property. Yeah. No. So. I, I. I. I don't have like a crazy strong feeling about it. I think it's cool that they're using one, and that the people who do this are putting out something better than what Sony even feels like they could do. Um, and I'm big on open source, but there are times I feel like where it would be nice for those people to get a little bit more recognition yeah. than not. I'm That's see, all. See, some, commentator, some commentators have already attacked Sony for laziness by piggybacking off their off the work of the open source community rather than coding a new official emulator. Why would you need a new official emulator, though? Like, Why would you need one? Unless you can do it better. Who says you can do it better? Maybe you can't right. do it better. You know? Uh, Frank Cifaldi... Has, sees the move as an acknowledgement that an amateur emulator can be just as valid as an official one. Of course. Yeah. And they're usually better. Yes. Yeah. They've been working on them for a long time. I mean, a, a, NES emulators go back to, uh, what, like 94, 95? About? Yeah. Just about? Minus. Do you think Nintendo worried about an NES emulator in 95 when they're, you know, ready to come out with the N64? Like, you think they would give a shit about that? It's it's Without the amateurs, we wouldn't have this stuff. We wouldn't have this... How, how big retro games have become partially because of this. Um, so, yeah, I don't expect Sony to reinvent the wheel. doesn't make any sense no. uh, to me. All right, so... All right, I'm not, I'm not faulting Sony for this. Their, their choice of games still is pretty shaky, though. Absolutely. Pat, I'm to ask you about a new wave of gaming addiction coming to America. 
Everywhere around the world. Coming to America. Gaming addiction is coming to America. So this is an article. Oh, you didn't say it yet, Ian. What is it? Uh, This is from at Mario underscore void. This is at Mario (laughs) underscore void. A new wave of gaming addiction coming to America. South Korea's lost generation of gamers offer a preview of what's to come. Remember, not all gamers are, are a, a monolith. There's different people. You can just be, a, you can just have gaming as a hobby. I have mm-hmm. to remind people. Yeah. But South Korea's lost generation of gamers offer a preview. What's come? This is a article from the Next Web, which I'm not familiar with. This website, it's a it's a fairly cerebral article about South Korea being in an epidemic of of uh, what's considered, I guess, a lost generation of people that are just spending all their time gaming. So. In South Korea, gaming's, uh, you know, like StarCraft and things like that, it's a huge sport, filling up arenas. That's where esports got big at first. But it's a whole, it's as big as, you know, how sports is in in the U.S., where people dive in with this stuff. So the estimate, according to this article by Brian Clark, the estimate uh, is that about a, there's a million internet-addicted children and teens out of 51 million people in South Korea. So one in ten. Some call the estimate conservative, claiming the actual number is closer to 50% or 5 million people aged 10 to 19. Um, wow. Okay. Uh, Dr. Lee J. Wan, a New York scientist in Seoul, said that online gaming accounts for roughly 90% of those of, of these internet addiction cases. So what's going on? So what you have is an industry that's, at least for uh, younger people, that's largely based on esports. It's largely based on internet gaming. Uh, you have uh, we all know about these these places that have like you know LAN, right? You, you pay to do these LAN things, but in the U.S. they're not. You can't find them all over the place. Something like in South Korea, there there's a lot of them all over the place, That's and they get filled up. Says you can't walk more than a few blocks without running and in, running into one of more than twenty thousand PC bangs, the gaming equivalent of an opium den. See, that's a little over the top of the hyperbole, but I see sure. what you're just talking about. See, with opium dens, the problem were once you entered them, you didn't leave. Yeah. It wasn't like going to a club or a bar. You were in there for days or weeks. You had to be dragged out of them. Um, so, uh, hard drugs replaced by network PCs, melodic K-pop, and a death trap of crisscrossing Ethernet cables. A lot of Ethernet cables are these. Uh, this in Korea is the preferred method of gaming. For about a dollar an hour, gamers can plug in and play land style to their heart's content. So it sounds like in South Korea, why bother buying your own your rig for thousands of dollars? Yeah. Doing that, where you can go to this communal place with others, strap in with the latest technology. They show them lined up here with these, you know, huge monitors, all these big gaming chairs. I'm surprised it's only a dollar an hour. Yeah. To be honest, how do they make their money back that quickly? Volume. Oh, food, things food, like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. We forgot about drinks. that. Food and drink. Uh, absolutely. Or selling extra peripherals or things like that. Um, so, uh, according to this article, many log 14 plus hours before dragging themselves out of their chairs. Once home, uh, they s- face a new set of challenges. Korea hosts 10 pro gaming leagues, most of which regularly air matches on national television. At least two networks air wall to wall esports coverage 24 7. So, this is way above what it is. Like, th- we can't even measure compared to oh, how yeah. we can't comprehend it. it's not like i said this is huge not here in the u.s so i see the point about gaming addiction how dangerous it can become but how do you i don't know how you get at can, can you cure it easily it sounds like it's a whole cultural phenomenon right now like how do you just you have to draw individuals back like if someone if you have a kid that's going you know 12 hours a day 14 hours a day in the weekend 
uh, and spending a lot of time doing just that, yeah, it probably has a problem. But how do you how do you draw them back? How do you get them treatment? I don't know. It's as technology advances, it, it, it becomes unavoidable, and I wonder what the I really don't know what the course of action is when something like that is so prevalent. I I still I think I DVR as a while back, but there there was a program talking about the psychology and um, neurology of our brains and how we get rewired our neural pathways based upon uh, stimulus and stimuli from internet, Twitter, phones, Instagram, constantly having this stuff in front of our face. How we may not be seeing it, but the kids growing up now and teenagers that have grown up with smartphones in their hands, they are basically thinking differently than we are like they are they are processing information differently oh sure we just don't know what the ramifications of that is going to become as they grow into adulthood yet we're we're on the cusp of that and this isn't a oh you're old men well no it's reality sorry if a kid grows up uh constantly checking i've seen this in person people are constantly checking their instagram feed see what's going on i check twitter more than i like sometimes oh, yeah, me to, too. See, to see what's going on but imagine if that's all you knew when you were four years old five years old six teenager uh i, I don't know what high school is like now i i are kids walking through the hallways yeah, with their phones constantly doing i can't imagine uh bradbury was, was correct but in the reverse way and fahrenheit 451 people in the future were obsessed with interacting with giant screens yep we're, we're interacting with tiny, tiny screens. Screen. We're walking around. It's actually worse. Yeah. Because before you had to be obsessed with going home, having your p- viewing parties, if you read Fahrenheit 451, uh, of these giant screens. That inter- they interacted with you. Yep. So he, he got that part way on, but just walking around with a screen. He didn't foresee that. Neither did Star Trek, by the way. They yeah, were that, that was always the funny thing. Like, uh, it was always make it, make it bigger. You know, you would go and you would... You know, that would still be the centerpiece. It was still this like centerpiece culture, like a dining table or a big TV. You know, you'd have the big touch screen. Uh, but yeah, now everyone just looks at the tiny portable one. We we jumped right past that big interactive screen yeah. era and went right to portable screen era. We might get to an age where we, we, people won't want huge TVs. You won't need them. Uh, 2011, South Korea passed the Cinderella Law, known as the Sundown Law as well. Prohibits any minor for playing online games, whether on their own PC, a handheld device, or in a PC bang, between midnight and 6 a.m. Before its passage, all bets were off on, as to how long minors stayed in bangs at night or when their weary fingers succumbed to the weight of a handheld device before drifting off to sleep. I play for 20 hours per day. Choi Kyung Seo, a South Korean teen, told Australian media outlet SBS. He then admit, admitted that he routinely stays up past 4 a.m. to play in games for 10 to 14 hours on most school nights. Jesus. Where are the parents? Yeah. Holy shit. 10 hours on a school night? I don't have... T- I didn't have 10 hours before I got, after I got home at 3. Yeah. I, I was back asleep. Holy shit. So the fact that South Korea had to pass a law means that we don't know... We can't fathom the extent of how this is affecting right. the youth there. We, we, don't. We, we don't have any clue. Um, it's hard to even speak on the topic without having the first-hand knowledge, but I, I really... College-age adults sound like are even worse, 18 to 24 range, because they have more free time, and they don't have parental influence, according to this article. It says counseling might offer the best solution. Uh, CO, uh, the guy just mentioned, and about a dozen, dozen of his peers were among hundreds who attended a state-funded treatment facility called, perhaps ironically, the Internet Dream Village. Wow. So the government's getting involved. They know this is not good long term. What oh, type the of product? I mean, the, the, uh, the hit to productivity is 
Oh yeah, they're, they're not gonna be able to fulfill jobs. Yeah, in society. I guess in these kids have money, they can just, just play games for 14 hours a day without having a, are they, I don't know. So we don't have any of this stuff in our society. We don't also have an epidemic to this point right now with this. Then again, we'll see where we are with a few years with Fortnite. I have no I mean, counseling right. in, in, in some sort of substitution clinics, is the only thing I can think of. Private clinics. It's like going to, or going to AA, go to meetings with other, you know, yeah. you know it's taking over your life. The problem though with, with gaming is, is, is that it, it's not like, it's not like with alcoholism or drugs, you can see your life getting destroyed so easily. With, with gaming, it's just that I think you are just cut off from everyone else. Right. And you don't realize the hole you might have sunken into if you're playing games 14 hours a day. It, it's it's almost like a victimless crime then. You know what I mean? It's like, so what? I'm gaming 14 hours a day. But you didn't realize the hit to yourself long term or your family being concerned about you or you're not socializing with people anymore if you're doing it to this extent. Sure. So that's where... We'll see if that develops in this country. If there's going to be like treatment programs, something like that, like that, like like the guy on the TV, the fake doctor that always gets made fun of. We see him. Uh, I'm the addict. I'm the addiction network. You know me. Oh yeah. That fake guy pretends to be a uh-huh. doctor. We'll see that for video games in the future. I don't know, but it's it's an interesting topic. You should read it. Uh, the links below. Uh, all right. Finally, Ian asks. Ian asks. You guys need to rip this apart. It is at Fatboy One One Eight. Nineteen crazy rare Nintendo games worth a fortune and ten extra rare accessories. So we usually I got I can't even open this fucking article. You got to go through it because it's is killing my CPU for recording this. So the the bad part about this article, and we've there's been tons of articles about you have gold in your video game closet, is that. In this instance, and Ian can walk through them, he can point them out to me because I can't, again, I can't open them, this fucking thing. Um, it's not just the fact that the outrageous prices when you look at them, but that it, there's wrong pictures on the article when you go through them. Yeah. On, on some of them. But the prices are so off. Do you want to run through these top to bottom? And just so we've got uh, Yo- uh, Yoshi's Story uh, International Version Demo Cart, uh, which is a demo. It's a Japanese demo for Yoshi's Story that only works on a U.S. cart. They've got it at like $1,200. You think it's reasonable, at least? I don't know. I'll look that up while you do it. Uh, Cheetah Men, $1,300. But what's the picture of it? <clears throat> that's that's the that's the Kickstarter. Carter, yep. That's, that's not the original that's Cheetah Men. That's not the original. <laughs> on there. Uh, let's see. Family Fun pit Fitness Pad for 600 no, 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 not at so, all. So, so they probably found one that had the original Athletic World in the first release box included with it. A family fun fitness by itself does not cost that much money, right? So that's wrong. What's uh, next? Ducktales gold cartridge at thirteen hundred. I have no idea that's what the promo right. code for. That's about right. Uh, virtual bowling on the uh, <clears throat> Virtual Boy for. One thousand eight hundred and twenty-five. That's the Japanese one. Yeah, I have no idea. That's one I can honestly say I have no idea. Rock and roller three hundred. Uh, no, that's insane. A, a, a rolling rocker. Yeah, rolling rocker does not cost three hundred dollars to get, especially a loose one. Absolutely not. Hagane three thousand six hundred and fifty dollars. So they More found, shit. So the, the, so now I know More with shit. this in the virtual bowling, bowling, they're probably finding just for sale buy it nows that are just up there for sealed copies 
I mean, that's what they're doing. It, but they're showing like a loose cartridge here, which is, is okay. The funny thing. And uh, say for Virtual Boy, they showed a loose cartridge. Yeah. There's no way a loose cartridge Virtual Boy go, go, yeah. goes for that much money. Uh, and I know nothing about Virtual Boy stuff. Uh, Legend of Zelda Oracle of Ages and Seasons Limited Edition 3,970 No Let's see Okay What the shit is this Super Nintendo Mouse $105 Okay With the mouse pad (laughs) I'm gonna say $15 to $20 Holy shit uh, games, Extertainment, Mike, Mountain Bike Rally, and Speed Racer, 4,800. That would be sealed new. There has to be. Yeah, they're showing uh, a oh, loose cartridge. No, loose is not that much. Nintendo World, Champ- Nintendo World Championship, they don't specify gold or gray, 26,600. The gray, you, you would probably say that was a reasonable price uh, for the last one, probably sold publicly. But what about the information they give along with? Is the information even correct about... I, I didn't look. Let's see. For that one? Um... This is considered something of a holy grail. See, back in the day, Nintendo would hold nationwide competitions to help promote their latest game. No, they did one. Yeah. <laughs> they just did one. They just Power Fist 90. Special one-off cartridges were made for these competitions and afterward were released into the wild. <laughs> this is good information. They came in two varieties, gray and gold. The gray are more common with 90 made and are valued at around 19000 oh, They didn't make 90. They gave out 90. 90. They, made, they made a few hundred of them. Failed at 19000 but the gold cartridges are worth mucho dinero, with only 26 made. They've been valued at 26600 This is the one case where they're wrong. They're worth a hell of a lot more than that now. Uh, be wary, but. though. There were plenty of NES games with gold cartridges, so fakes are common. They couldn't, <laughs> they couldn't specify that Legend of Zelda and Zelda 2 were gold cartridges. Yeah. Holy uh, shit. That was worse than I thought. That was tough. Uh, Nintendo 64 DD, 1,000. Games, Family Fun Fitness, Stadium Events, showing a loose copy, $35,100. What version is it showing a loose copy of? Uh, is it PAL or NTSC even? Look in the bot. Is it a letter in the bottom right? Nope. Oh, they're actually showing the right one? Wait. No, no, it's a pal, oh, Yeah, I said nope. You said, is the letter on the bottom right? And I said nope. It is in the bottom right. It's a B right there. Yeah. Is is it right? I said, I thought, <laughs> as in nope. Is it right as in correct? Oh, no. who's on first? So they're showing the pal version, yes. which costs a few hundred dollars instead of the real one. And the $35,000 one was just a sealed one. Yeah. That went. Wasn't even a loose one. I don't know if a loose one's been sold in, in a while, at least. Uh, 1991 Campus Challenge, 20100 It was only a prototype. Yeah. Game Boy Pocket Sonar, $500. Couldn't tell you. So, okay. See, see where we're going at here. Yeah, Little Samson, $2,100. No, 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 no. $2,100. Is that, let's look at the app. Is that for a complete inbox copy? Bonk's Adventure, $2,000. Everything's just $2,000? That's $2,000 for Bonk. Let me look at Little Samson on the app to see what it is for. uh... Did you know laser scopes are $100? Maybe in the box, not loose. Arrow Fighters is 1,400, and they're showing a bootleg. That's the best. This Arrow Fighters that they're showing is a bootleg. It's got plastic screws. Let me see. The Arrow Fighters that they're showing has the plastic screws. We probably covered that in the podcast using that picture. Uh, (laughs) According to the app, app, uh, it's $2,600 for a complete box, Little Samson. 
It's what? $2,600. I don't know if that's... Let me... I have no idea. Games. Earthbound. $4,000. What? I'm guessing that's for a a complete one. It's not $4,000. it's not. Rob the Robot. $500. Complete. That's probably... If it's in good condition. Perhaps. Super Copa for the Super Nintendo. $6,900. It must be someone found a sealed one somewhere. It's the only thing I think of... I can't imagine someone spending that much money on Super Copa, though. Power Blade 2, $1,000? No. All right, okay. I think we, this, we're, we're good. We're, 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 we're good. The, yeah. the, 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 they were right in a few of these. Most part, though, this was way off. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't like, totally shred-worthy, but it was, yeah. It was, it was not Semi, good. Semi-shred-worthy? Semi-shred-worthy. Okay. I don't want the internet coming after us for this. For us being off on that. All right. Cool. Well, you know, that's, uh, that's our CU podcast. That's it. All right. Um... We got we got our Patreon. We got stuff coming up. We got uh, Thanksgiving. How are you going to celebrate Thanksgiving? Going to brine two pork loins about five pounds each. So I'm going to make about ten pounds of pork. Can you use that Omaha steaks pork? You're going to use. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't get pork from Omaha steaks. Nope, just my loins. Just loins. just the pork of my loins. You having friends over, family? No, I might go visit Trig, and then uh, I don't know. People might just uh, might show up late night afterwards. So if you want some pork. Give me a call later. Awesome. He's gonna knock on the door. You, he, oh, a bucket. You throw pork. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> throw a pork on it. All right. Well, this has been a fun week. Week and a half. It's good. It's been good. It's, it's been fun. Yeah, it's been great. Uh, so, should, should we just quit YouTube and just end the podcast? Or are we still gonna get, keep going? Yeah, it's done. It's done. <laughs> it's finished. It's finished. All right. Uh, be on the lookout for an announcement for a certain Super Nintendo guidebook coming up in the near future look out my facebook and twitter for that first uh by the next podcast it might be some news uh so for ian ferguson uh that's pat country thanks again for red bull sending me this pack i think that uh, they're actually doing um i believe at coin op in oh god is it north park coin up north park they're doing a pac-man tournament on November 29th, the Thursday. Oh, really? I believe it is. Uh, go, to, go to coinopsd.com. Red Bull's helping out with that. And uh, just look it up. I forget. They have two locations, right? They have one downtown and one in North Park. So I forget which one off the top of my head. Uh, but, yeah, check it out. I'm not saying I'm going to be there. Uh, but it's a great, it's a great place. Uh, it's fun, good food, good games, good times. So... We will see you guys a little bit later. Whoop!